We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Uh, Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret place of His tabernacle He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me, nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence." I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Best to spend a moment in reflection after readings like that, isn't it? Wait on the Lord. Short 14 verses, but very... Uh, very packed. You know, it's, there's a spiritual truth here that is um, perhaps will be helpful to you just for me to call it to your attention in verse number 9, where the psalmist is crying out to God, do not hide your face from me, do not leave me nor forsake me. But uh, the reason he does that is because, or says that because he really feels it. There's, there's a feeling in his heart, there's a desperate kind of longing for God, a, a fear that uh, because of his iniquities, that is the psalmist's iniquities, perhaps the Lord will turn his face away from him. But God does say that I will never leave nor forsake my people, right? Which is a great comfort. But that doesn't mean that we're uh, immune from feeling sometimes like we are very far away from God, 
Of course, if we're far away from God, you know, we kind of say this. We're the ones that moved. He, he's always been in the same spot where he's been at. But we can feel that way. Same in Psalm 22. Uh, remember Psalm 22, the words that the Lord used on the cross? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, ultimately, God didn't forsake his son, although we have to deal with what happened when God poured out his wrath against sin on his son in those moments. But ultimately, the Savior was not um, abandoned by his God. And the same here with uh, the Psalm of David. Another Psalm of David is 28. Let's read, starting in verse number 1. This is also fairly short. To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity, who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve, because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the operation of his hands. He shall destroy them and not build them up. Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise him. The Lord is their strength, and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. Amen. Well, we trust God will bless the reading of his word this evening. Let's have a prayer, please. Father in heaven, as we now approach the word of God for a few moments and think about what you have before us here set on the table that we might enjoy the remembrance of our Lord Jesus' death on the cross and his unparalleled work for us. Help us to meditate uh, thoroughly, carefully, um, honestly, genuinely before you as we think on what we talk about here. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I don't want to overdo the topic uh, that we have started looking at, but it just occurred to me as I was thinking about the Lord's table that I might connect it to our theme that Jansen and I have been working on uh, a few messages already or a couple, and uh, we'll be doing some more, especially around the tables at the men's prayer meeting. And that is about stewardship. And so I just put the title Stewardship in the Lord's Table, and I uh, gave some thought to that. And uh, one of the things that I drew from this was the Lord Jesus commands us to manage our lives so that we regularly remember his death until he comes. We started this series uh, on biblical stewardship, as we call it, and I remind you that we said that stewardship is defined as the job of supervising or taking care of something. 
as in an, uh, an organization or a property. Uh, you can use the word manage as a somewhat close synonym uh, for that. And I'm just now thinking about it. Perhaps we uh, haven't uh, introduced the topic sufficiently to the broader church because we've talked about it with the young people and uh, with the uh, men on Saturday morning, but perhaps not in this larger context in the whole church family. But uh, it's been a burden on our hearts that we would share with you regarding this matter of stewardship, the management of our lives. <clears throat> and I, took, I started this kind of series for us in Matthew chapter 25 with the parable of the talents. And the parable of the talents, uh, the Lord uh, tells in the context of the Olivet Discourse and it talks about the coming of the end of the age, what is the sign of your coming? The disciples ask, when, when is it you're going to be coming? And the Lord said a number of parables toward the end of that sequence in Matthew 24 and 25 with this burden uh, trying to convey to the disciples that you need to be ready for the Lord's return. Uh, you remember uh, the, who is that faithful and wise servant whom the Lord, the, the master, finds you know, doing what he's been assigned to do when he returns or the, the foolish and the wise virgins. And here in, later in chapter 25, the uh, parable of the talents. And so the master is pictured as giving certain uh, monetary resources to the uh, servants, three of them, and uh, two of them perform well. The third one is a wicked and lazy servant and does not do what he's supposed to do, doesn't even give the money to the bankers to get interest back on it, but just uh, buries it and then digs it back up when the master comes home. He has a wrong estimation of the master's um, oh, character, we shall say, and so he gets judged and cast out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The other two, though, they took the resources that they were given and the task that they were assigned, which was to trade with that money until the Lord returned. And uh, we drew out from that parable that the Lord's not really concerned uh, just you know, teaching us about money management as if we you know, take a, a seminar on how to manage our money or we do that in the church with Matthew 25. It's really about being ready for the Lord's return and using the resources that he has given to us and, and accomplishing with those resources the tasks that he has assigned for us to, to carry out. And we uh, have listed in our notes uh, with the groups that we've already talked to in the church of different tasks and different resources. And you might think about the things that you have in your life, uh, either the assignments that God has given to you the things that you have to do in life, or you might think about the resources that God has given you to do those things. From your, your health and your life and your mind and your financial resources included, uh, all the way to the tasks that he's given to you regarding your home life and work and church and education and things like that. So we have all of those thoughts kind of bouncing around in our mind. And with respect to the idea of stewardship, we can think of the Lord's table in two directions. First, we have a responsibility to, to manage our lives so that we attend the service of the Lord's table regularly. And second, we can think about the Lord's table and stewardship regarding our life management of any number of areas of our lives and maybe uh, think that that's going to require of us some self-examination and repentance as we think about the Lord's death for us. So first of all, stewardship to, could I just boil it down and make it easy, stewardship of your life to get here to this service, number one. 
and then the larger issue of stewardship is one at which you will examine yourself when we share the elements of the table because it is a, a service of self-examination and seeing if there is any area in our life that is falling short. I found an interesting uh, parallel in what we're talking about here. The scripture tells us that in eating the bread and drinking the cup in remembrance, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes back. The Lord said he would not eat of the bread or drink of the cup uh, until, or the fruit of the vine until he did so in the kingdom of God. And uh, so the, the, the table service has a prophetic element to it. It's a forward-looking service. It's also a backward-looking one, right? We're remembering what the Lord has done for us, and we're making a statement presently that we are with him. We are uh, showing that we are uh, united to him by using these symbols, but then also we're looking forward to the future when the Lord returns and proclaiming his death until that time. Well, similarly, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 teaches us about managing our God-given resources and tasks, doing so faithfully until after a long time, future, our Lord returns. (laughs) So both passages uh, of 1 Corinthians 11 and then the other ones in the Gospels that tell us about the Lord's table and then also the Matthew 25 passage uh, talk about this future element. Both of these aspects of our lives have a forward-looking component to the time when the Lord returns. And as we've said dozens of times here, and you've probably heard also, what is coming affects what is Did you get that? What is coming in the future affects what is now. We live now in light of what's happening in the future. Something like what I spoke about this morning. If you take into account all of the factors, remember that that I I said earlier, all of the factors, including that God exists and that there's a future coming, a future judgment, all that, you put all that together, then you can make the wisest choice about whether you are going to follow Christ and how you're going to do that. So just an interesting parallel. But first of all, in terms of the matter of, the, of stewardship to get to the Lord's table, to get to the Lord's table, uh, what are the resources involved in this task of participating in the Lord's table? Well, there's time, there's your health, there's children, there's marriage, there's ministry. All those things, and maybe you could think of some other resources that are involved, you know, God's gift of, to you of a transportation to get here and that sort of thing. There are resources involved in participating in the Lord's table, and management means that you put all those resources together in the right way in order to make it happen. You choose to to do that. Regular, frequent participation in the Lord's table is required by the Lord Jesus. Let me uh, just remind us of that by reading the passage that we often do in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll start in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. 
Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Again, I, I, I mention this to say that you, you want to take this in a holy manner, in a manner which is reverent and respectful. It doesn't mean that you're a perfect person. It does not say, um, you know, if you take this cup and bread and you are imperfect, that you'll be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That's not the case because everybody here is imperfect. Everybody here is a sinner yet. But it tells us in verse 28, but let a man examine himself, and so that is in that manner, that's the worthy manner, let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many, Paul says, even sleep, are dead. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And then he gives a further instruction about how they're to be good stewards of this time. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. And so even earlier in the passage, he talks about how they come together together they were doing it not for the better, but for the worse. They were coming together as a church. There were divisions. There were factions. There was all kinds of trouble there. But the assumption is that, first of all, they were gathering. And second of all, they were gathering in such a manner uh, that they would be able to do what the Lord says as often as you do this. There's some frequency to this. It's not just a, you know, I don't think a once a year occurrence. That's not nearly enough at all. Uh, other churches uh, have the Lord's Supper remembrance every week. We don't do that. We do it once a month. But in any case, there's got to be some level of frequency, some level of, of uh, you know, currency to the uh, Lord's table. Let me just say this as a pastor, as a Christian, too, to you. As I indicated this in my prayer. If you... If you, you know, get away from the church a little bit and you're not participating in the Lord's table, you know, here's the, the true north, you can start to kind of veer off a little bit. And it doesn't take too long before you get quite far away in your spiritual condition from what the Lord would have you to be. And that distance grows. And so the function, one of the spiritual functions of having the Lord's table is to call us back to remember what's important what's real, what's true, what's, what is a high priority. And, and it helps us to kind of, you know, if we veered off a little bit in the last month, to kind of snap back to and get in line again. And so that's why it's very critical for us in a spiritual, uh, our spiritual condition to participate in the Lord's table. I'm not trying to make it too mystical here at all, but I'm just saying there's a reality that if you don't do anything about your spiritual life, you don't focus on the things of God, you're going to have a lot of uh, problems going forward. So regular frequent participation is required by the Lord, 1 Corinthians 11. It seems to me so basic as to be a requirement of membership in the local church. That is, if someone leaves off, ceases to eat with us around this table, that would be legitimate grounds and cause for dismissal from church membership. 
I mean, if you're supposed to, at, at some point, at some point, what the Lord commands has to be done. I mean, we can try to sit here and slice and dice it and say, well, how often do you have to do it? And uh, well, what about this command? And what about that command? And what if I'm not doing this? And what if I'm... Look, all of that is like self-centered. What about what the Lord asks of us? What about what He wants us to, to do? I mean, He knows better than we do. Well, I don't need to participate at the Lord's table very often. I'll be fine. Well, that's not what Jesus thinks. And I think I'll take His thinking over your thinking any day of the week, twice on Sunday. We are here twice on Sunday, aren't we? So we don't want people to leave off eating with us around the table. And so don't be surprised if I pay close attention to who all's here and I track that over the next few months and I ask you maybe after a few months, hey, brother or sister, you haven't been at the Lord's table for a while. What's going on? We need to correct that. So uh, first kind of issue with regard to stewardship is are you managing your life so that you can just at least get to the service and participate in it? But the second issue regarding stewardship that I was thinking about is the whole issue of self-evaluation and asking yourself, how am I doing? You might say, oh, this is a great message for the beginning of the year, kind of New Year's resolutions and you know, change how I'm living my lifestyle and change some things around and try to live better for the Lord. And that's, that's good. Of all the resources you have and all the tasks that God has assigned for you, may I ask, how are you doing? How are you doing? Are you accomplishing the tasks with the resources? I suspect that right now, Many of us must confess to God that we are not stewarding our lives in every area in the way that we know we should. There's some area you're probably thinking of and say, self, I need, to, I need to not be doing that. I need to be spending my time doing this. Or I need to be re, you know, figuring my budget so that I can do this uh, for the Lord. Or I need to, uh, you know, tell the leadership at the church, hey, I can spend an hour or two more a week you know, at church or serving somehow behind the scenes or something like that. Or I don't know what's in your mind right now, but you do. And God is working on you to think about this area of stewardship. Uh, you know that he died for all so that what? We would not live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again. All the things that we have belong to him. He gives us our breath, so it behooves us to figure out how can we best use that breath to serve him and not just kind of muddle through and good enough and, you know, that's, I'm not doing bad at least and that sort of thing. Is our stewardship appropriate given the Lord's self-sacrifice and the tremendous work that he has followed up with after that sacrifice? You know, he died on the cross, and that's a once-for-all thing. 
and we go back and we remember it with these symbols. But in a sense, although that work is completed, his work in your life didn't begin until, well, at least you were born. (laughs) You know, of course, he planned for you to be here, but then he continues. It's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So he's at work in your life. Tremendous work that he's doing and has done in our lives. Is our stewardship of our life appropriate given the Lord's self-sacrifice and his work, or are we mismanaging our resources and not accomplishing our God-assigned tasks? If that's the case, to the, to the extent that's the case, these are causes for us to confess our sin around this table. But all of this focus on our stewardship is, in fact, an apt illustration of how we can lose sight of the most important things. The focus in the communion service is not to be on ourselves, nor even on our self-evaluation, nor on the quality of our stewardship as to our time or our life activities or whether we're accomplishing all of our tasks that God has assigned us with the resources he has given us. Our focus here, hear me out. We've been talking about our role in participating at the table, getting here, evaluating ourselves as to whether we're using God's gifts to us properly. But our focus here is to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our stewardship serves the greater purpose that we might worship Him, that we would give thanks to Him because it was He who was alive and then dead, and now is alive forevermore. It is he who has the keys of Hades and of death. It is he who is the first and the last. You see, if you see him, and then you think about your life stewardship underneath that, I think it brings it into real clear focus, doesn't it? The purpose of all of this that we talked about earlier is for him. And if you just have your focus on yourself and, oh, I want to be productive and I want to get all my tasks done and I want to, and I, and I, and I, well, what about he and he and he and he? It's he who is worthy. It's he who was slain. It's he who redeemed our souls to God by his blood. It is he who made us kings and priests to our God. It is he who shall reign forever and ever. The government will indeed be upon his shoulder, and he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, he will order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. It is he who is worthy to receive power 
and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, for he died for us. He gave himself on the tree for our sins to redeem us from every lawless deed, to ransom our souls to God, to deliver us from this present evil age. He's worthy of our finest and most ardent expressions of worship, the Lord Jesus Christ. A pastor acquaintance of mine from Pennsylvania recently entered heaven after a sudden illness. Still can't believe it. Bill Park was his name. His passing caused, I'm sure, a lot of people to reflect on the brevity of life and the need to be good stewards of the short life that we've been given. One of this pastor's oft-repeated sayings was as follows. Life is choices. Choices have consequences. Make the right choices. Life is choices. Choices have consequences. Make the right choices. This is one way of describing how we manage our lives. Making the right choices along the way is good stewardship. You have an opportunity to improve the choices you've made thus far in your life. You know, some of us are not very careful or thoughtful about what we choose to do. Others of us are very programmed and diligent. Some of us make many poor choices. For others, we make okay choices, medium grade, not you know, terrible, but not all out for the Lord either. What I hope we will do is to evaluate and consider how we might choose the most excellent, the most God-pleasing choices that we possibly can. We can affect change in our lives so that we can worship Jesus better. He deserves it because of what he has done. Let's go back and look at that a little bit more in detail, what he has done. I'll select to uh, take us to the Gospel of Luke of the passages that we could use. In Luke chapter 22, Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed, And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room and there make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. By the way, just remember, this is a derivation. This meal here is a derivation of the Passover meal. Okay, It's just a small kind of piece of it that the Lord, if I could 
say it this way, sliced off and made a new track. And that new track is the track we're on, the track which remembers him. We don't have the whole Seder, but we have this portion that has been passed down to us. Verse 16, For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and uh, gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began questioning, sorry, began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. And there's, a, there's an argument about the greatness between the disciples, which is so out of place, but it shows how their minds are off on something else, even after this very uh, somber announcement that the Lord made. And then Jesus predicts Peter's denial and so on. And uh, they go out uh, into the garden And uh, verse 39 says in uh, Luke 22, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And then, of course, you recall what happened. Jesus was betrayed by the betrayer, by Judas Iscariot. He was arrested in Gethsemane, and from that moment on, late on Thursday night or early, early in Thursday, Friday morning from then until just uh, 3 p.m. in the afternoon the next that day, a perfectly healthy son of God was taken and beaten and hung on a cross and killed, killed all the way to death, beaten, mocked, smacked, beard torn out, spat upon, um, flogged, and hung upon a cross. And that's how God ordained in that very most painful of deaths decided to implement the death of the Son of God for us. His body was bruised, broken, we say, although not a bone of his body was broken, but certainly was broken and his blood shed, poured out, and then for good measure, a soldier came by with a spear and stuck him in the side. Out came blood and water from his insides. And the disciple John testified of that so that we would know that it was him whom they pierced. That's what happened. 
and that's why we should give our best effort and attention to worship him because he's worthy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we close this portion of our service and prepare for the next, I ask, Lord, that your word will do its work in each one of the souls here, those listening online. And although we can't participate with those online or they can't with us and the elements that we will share in a few moments, we are grateful for their listening and pray that they soon will be able to join us around this table to uh, celebrate the Lord's death, to remember it and proclaim it until he comes. God, you've been very kind to us. You've, been, you've given us so much here that many people around the globe do not have, and I pray that you would help us to be good stewards, the best possible stewards of it, to be here and then to evaluate ourselves to see where our stewardship could improve. Thank you in advance of your work in changing us this coming calendar year, and may our church be strong and be well-suited to be used of thee for the great calling that you have for us in the great commission and the great commandment. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. To those of you that are online, we thank you for participating. We're going to share the elements now, so we'll bid you good night, and we'll see you again soon. Amen. God bless you. Not quite time yet, Kezia, to leave. That's like that song, uh, Only God, which when it kind of stops, but it's not done yet, and you're like, oh, it's done. And then there's like, oh, there's more. <laughs> so, but wait, there is more. So we will share the elements of the table now together. Uh, if you haven't done this with us, what we do is we have a prayer before each element. We distribute each one in turn and ask you to retain the element until we can all partake at the same time. And uh, we'll guide you through that so it's clear uh, what, what happens. But um, you do not have to be a member of the church to participate at the, at the table here. I know some churches do that, um, but that is not the case here. However, it's not just a wide open, you know, wild west out here either, okay? Uh, you need to be walking in fellowship with the Lord. And we are commanded to put a fence around the table so that if somebody's walking out of fellowship with the Lord, we would not allow them to participate with us if we knew about that. So you need to police yourself and uh, examine yourself and participate in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. You don't want to mess around here. <laughs> you think, oh, well, that's Bible stuff back there. I'm telling you, we, we heard from our former pastor a couple of accounts. Do you remember that? People who who were just blowing off the Lord's table and didn't go well for them. And I'm here to say, I, I, I believe it. <laughs> Paul said, some of you are weak and sick and some even sleep. Um, it's a serious business to trifle with God. So, like I say, don't be doing that. <laughs> yeah, amen. Okay.